0: Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, Ben Weber, CEO of Humanize, discusses transform your organization's social wellness with data.
1: Good morning, everyone. Looking alive. I love it. Uh, my name is Warren McShane, and I'm really excited uh, to introduce our next guest. Um, it is my president and uh, co-founder, Ben Weber. Um, and today, he's going to be discussing transform your organization's social wellness with data. To give you a little background to set the stage, uh, Dr. Ben Weber um, Obviously, our president and co-founder of Humanize, uh, which is a people analytics company that measures communication patterns to help companies answer specific business questions. Uh, He's a visiting scientist at MIT Media Lab, uh, previously worked as a senior researcher at the uh, Harvard Business School, and received his PhD from MIT for his work with Alex Sandy Petlin's Human Dynamics Group. He has consulted for industry leaders such as LG, McKinsey & Company, Gartner, On Technology Trends, Social Networks, and Organizational Design. His book, an international bestseller, called People Analytics, was published by the Financial uh, Financial Times Press in 2013. And if you head to our website today, uh, we just released uh, the latest HBR article that was published, by Ben and partnered up with another PhD, Ethan Bernstein, called "The Truth About Open Offices." So make sure you check that out.
0: All right, thanks for that, Mora. And uh, yeah, no, I guess uh, so. I, I could spoil the HBR article for you. Um, basically, the, the truth about open offices is um, they do different things depending on what your company does. So it's sort of like unsatisfying, but that the, the main point is that you should experiment with stuff. Okay, so there. Now you don't have to read it. Um, okay. um no but thanks for thanks for coming um i also my flight got in at like 3 a.m so if i'm a little punchy just uh i don't know what time it is right now so it should be okay um anyway but I, I think um it, you know uh, just to the, the topic of the day it is um stress is a problem at work right so people here have gotten stressed at work yeah, I mean, probably if you care about your job or, um, or just your work life in general, you probably get stressed sometimes. And so these are numbers saying it's a big problem. Lots of people get stressed. It um, also has a real human cost, right? Um, especially, you know, in places like the U.S., um, but also in um, countries like Japan, I've um, done work as well. Um, it's just well documented how uh, negatively that has impacted people. And you think about work, that's where people spend the majority of the waking hours of their lives. Right? And if people are getting stressed, it's not typically for complex reasons. Right? It's the work environment sucks. Right? It's that, um, again, they're being micromanaged, things like that. And those are things that are measurable. Like, I think that's actually what's interesting, is that those are issues where we don't just have to rely on people speaking up. We can actually try to be proactive about those things. Um, but it's important to identify what's actually going on because there's lots of potential causes for why people are getting stressed, for why uh, the social fabric of an organization is actually suffering, right? It could be, um, like one company I looked at, where people are spending literally over 85% in long meetings. Right? Like on hour plus long meetings, that's where you'd see frontline people spending, I mean, over 85% of their day. Like that's hard, okay? You could look at things like, again, do they ever get to talk to their manager? Right. Or is the manager breathing down their necks? Right. Like those things matter. Are people being forced to work, you know, get after 6 p.m., and that's where people are spending all their time? Right. There's lots of things like this we could talk about. The point is, is that these are all potential issues, but where should we focus our attention? And if we're trying to mitigate any of these things, right, are we actually having an impact? Right. And typically the strategy that I've seen in places like Japan, where they have a real problem with workplace suicide, right? And the strategies they'll do is they'll bring in some consultants who say, okay, well, we want to reduce workloads. And so we're going to roll out this training program. And then basically they wait for a year and they see, does anyone commit suicide? Like literally that's what they do. right. And then if it, if they don't, then they say it worked. Right. And that's awful that you have to wait for that to be able to say, we rolled something out and didn't change any of these things. I think, you know, the important point is now we have, data about what actually goes on at work to be able to answer those things. Right? From things like email, chat, meeting data, increasingly sensor data. Right? Not an individual level, but at a macro level to be able to see, well, how much time are people spending on meetings? Right? How much are managers again interacting with their teams? Right? Looking at that at an aggregate level and being able to see, you know, after you implement something in a couple of weeks, did it actually have an impact? Right? That's pretty interesting. Right? And Again, this was uh, so. more saying this was the topic of my PhD. I've done a lot of work on this, but I I really do think that it's this perspective that's incredibly helpful, right? To be able to look at these different things and see, like, again, at a basic level, I can go to pretty much any company in the world and ask questions about this stuff. I can say, how many hours do your employees work? And you, like, don't know the answer, which is crazy, right? It's crazy you can't even answer, like, that kind of a basic question. It's crazy that, sure, when I look at things like... um, you know, there's lots of folks here doing uh, space utilization, which is useful. Uh, but then beyond that, to see how is that impacting, not just where people spend time, but you know, are people actually talking to each other? Right? Are they just you know sitting by themselves? All these things have an impact on the social fabric of an organization. Right? And this is fundamentally what we do. Right? It's what uh, again I've done starting my PhD, uh, and it's what we do at here. It's really about trying to combine different aspects of how work gets done. And part of this is the data on how people collaborate, so who communicates through, when, how often. Um, it's looking at you know, what are the processes within organizations. Right? And it's looking at how things like how are the workplaces designed to be able to look at what are the networks within organizations. Because right? again, there's decades of research in social science looking at how important these behaviors are and how important these networks are. And traditionally, that was done with surveys um, and uh, human observation, which is useful. But to be able to say, again, we've got people socially receding uh, from their networks. It's a big predictor of things like depression. Again, when people get overloaded with things like meetings, well-documented the kind of impact that has. So to be able to say, here's what's actually happening, and here's how that's changing. Here's how that relates to turnover, performance. To make that real for organizations, um, I think, is really critical. Right. So my co-founders and I have Books we'll on this, you know, holidays are coming up and makes a great gift. Um, anyway. um, but again, the point is that there is a lot of work on this um, and this has been going on for a while. And uh, again, if to the extent you're interested, you can look more into this. Um, really the way to start, um, at least that we've approached looking at things like stress and just wellness, social wellness within organizations, um, is there's a couple steps here. I mean, the first is that, again, any of your organizations have an already a lot of data about how people work. Right, and it's to hook into that, to look at what are these broad flows of behaviors and communication uh, within an organization. Not to look at things like content. Right. Um, not to look at even individuals. Right, but to look at these macro trends from across these data sources. Right. Um, then from that, to be able to look at these, um, at these networks to um, actually use uh, scientific metrics, things that people have written and that we've written lots of papers about, see what metrics actually matter, and then use that to drive dashboards. Okay. Um, so just to step back for a second, um, at this point, from you know, across our work at you know, dozens of the largest companies in the world, we have the largest data set on workplace interaction in the world. Um, so that's interesting. But if you think about what we're talking about with this kind of data, if you look at email, it's you know, who communicates who, when, how often. If you think about sensor data, right, if you have, you, know, you, you tap into, uh, you, know, you log into your building with your phone, or you tap in with an ID, um, essentially, you get millisecond-level data on what's going on in the real world, right? and that data is incredibly powerful. But obviously, there are privacy implications to that as well. Um, and so, one of the issues is that in places like the U.S., there's essentially no regulations around this stuff, um, which is kind of crazy. Um, in places in the U.S., you get things like GDPR, which you know we're deployed globally, so we go above and beyond those things. But I think it's very important to think not just about what's legal, but what's right with this kind of data, right? Um, and the fact that the stuff that really matters for organizations, it's not you know, what does AND do at 2.30 on Tuesday? Who cares? Right? It's much more about these bigger macro trends. That's the stuff that, again, what you might care about is predicting again, high levels of stress. You might care about predicting performance. That's not about what does one person do. That's about what the distribution is, right? So making sure you're analyzing this data at that kind of scale is important, right? um, And that's how we built uh, our technology. All right. So probably help to go over, let's actually look at some real examples of what's actually going on within some companies and how they use this kind of data to understand what's going on and how to change things. So we'll start um, with a uh, data from a Fortune 500 company. I can't show you their actual metrics, but at a basic level, this this problem might be similar to a bunch of you. Uh, They had a big problem in some of their divisions with, uh, you know, they saw in their engagement uh, surveys, low morale, and they had high turnover. And the question is, what was driving that? And this is, I think, what always comes out when we look at things like survey data um, or data from reports. It's understanding why things are happening or why people are feeling a certain way. Like, why do people feel stressed? And so they had certain hypotheses about why some of their divisions with thousands of people were you know, seeing 30 plus percent turnover a year. And one of the things you did, was so when you look at this behavioral data, so again, we hook into all this data that they already have about what goes on at work. and like actually, the biggest factors are maybe not shocking. People were working as people worked longer and longer hours. Uh, turnover went up. Okay, this is not shocking. But again, they had no idea this was happening. Right, that some teams were working seventy plus hours a week for you know a year long period. Right now, maybe you got to do that for one week, but that's not sustainable. Right, so they didn't know that was even going on. You know, they didn't know for the you know for some of these teams it was that. Um, you know, managers were, were overbearing. If you look at the percent of communication that was happening with managers, you know, in some cases, again, you're exceeding 50%. So, you know, really intense, not just you're working long hours, but your manager is like with you all the time. So again, I think the key here is not just saying, all right, that's nice correlation. The question is then what do you do with it, right? So they did, you know, a number of different things, uh, some of which I agree with, some of which I don't. Um, so first, they actually treated these as KPIs. So for each team, for each division, there's a question of, all right, like we're actually going to measure, like, you know, how many hours is your division working on average? And we want that to go down. Right? Um, and we're going to implement a few processes to help that go down. Um, one of the things some of these companies did is uh, started turning off uh, the lights in the office um, at 6 p.m., which is interesting. Um, some places in Japan actually start to, I'm not kidding, fly drones through the office uh, playing loud music at 10 p.m., yeah, we could talk about whether... I don't have the data on the drones. I think that's fun. Um, but again, it's a sort of a technological solution to a social problem. So it's a different thing. Um, but at a basic level, they also... Um, essentially, they also have hard, uh, hard performance KPIs and they're able to show that... Um, and essentially make changes in where people sat to help actually decrease the influence of overbearing managers. Essentially, they move teams away from their managers... Um, and it actually has an effect. Like it might seem, I mean, I think for a lot of people here, that might seem to make sense. But it is interesting to think about, like a lot of times we want to co-locate different teams. So be able to say, actually, for in this organization, what would be more effective is to move where the managers are and move them away from their team. And that, ha- that had a significant effect on this. And was able to save them you know, a hard $7 million bucks in terms of you know, decreased, uh, decreased costs here in terms of turnover. It's significant. All right, I want to talk about one more example. Um, this is a uh, multinational technology company that has a very hierarchical culture, which I'm sure none of us have any familiarity with. Um, okay, so they had this high, like, fluffy-level goal that they wanted to reduce, uh, again, make a uh, more flat organizational culture. Um, but then we look at it from a wellness perspective. They had some real issues where, I mean, you can, I don't know if you can read this from the back, um, at a basic level, they have lots of long meetings, right? So over 90% of the actual meetings that they had, again, this is from their calendar data, um, were over one hour, over one hour, right? Which, at least for me, like I typically do one hour. So getting lots of 90 plus minute meetings, um, maybe not super effective. Um, now, we actually had performance metrics uh, for these engineers, things like milestone attainment. And again, this is an organization with tens of thousands of employees. Um, and so for a lot of them, you're able to show that actually, if you reduce the amount of time in meetings and the amount of times they were interrupted um, by things like emails or chats, um, that their performance went up. Okay, so you can actually show the relationship to KPIs that matter for this organization. And um, so essentially, what they were able to do was not just track this as a KPI, but what they were able to do was actually start to change their space. So you could see what sort of rooms were used for these longer meetings. And essentially, what they did is they subdivided those. So they made it so that if you were trying to get your whole team together for like an hour and a half meeting, you would do that like in an open area where lots of other people are. Um, so even made it socially difficult to actually do this. And you're able to show that they reduced you know, these meetings you know, very significantly, about over 40% like the next quarter. Right. So even just in terms of the amount of, there's a lot of ways we can look at the actual impact of this, but in terms of the percent of hours, the amount of hours that people are spending in meetings, right? you could show that people were able to get, I mean, was a 20-plus percent more focus work done the next quarter? Right? You could show that in terms of time that people were multitasking meetings, so not just so. what's interesting about this kind of data is I can look at not people are in meetings, but are you actually emailing people in, when you're in the meeting? Are you chatting with people when you're in the meeting? So you're supposed to be focusing on the meeting, right? I'm sure none of you here have ever done that. I mean, I've never done that. Um, but again, the idea that that's not the best use of our time, right? If we're just sending... What you would see is when the meetings exceeded one hour and six people, you were spending over 60% of the time actually doing other tasks in the meeting, even if you were physically there, right? W- which that, that was interesting to me because you could tell from sensor data that people were physically there. So you're in the room and people had their computers open. And so you're emailing over 60% of the time. Anyway, it just seems crazy, but they were able to see how big of a problem this was. So again, they were able to also show that you're, you're saving um, for one division of 200 people um, we essentially save them in terms of salaries a little bit over a million dollars um, a year just by reconfiguring the size of these rooms, right? And again, I think that gets to some, something that's interesting. It, it starts to move away from uh, even thinking about, you know, their meeting rooms or space is a, is a cost because the biggest cost is, is people, it's us, right? But of course, it's an investment, right? We're not just a cost, right? If you can, you know, make a workplace... 5% better to actually improve performance by 5%. If you're a Fortune 500 company, you know, I don't care if you're spending millions of dollars, you can do that every time. The challenge is always to show the impact of that. Right? And particularly when you're talking about things like, like stress or work, it's the ability to very quickly show an impact on that and to be able to rapidly test things out across the organization to make a really big impact. Um, I think that's what's sort of interesting about this kind of technology. Um, so anyway, I think we've got some time left for uh talk about quite to answer some questions we get like like 10 minutes 5 minutes so happy to talk more uh any questions all right question already in terms of the kpis but i think you mentioned it's kind of a technical solution to a cultural problem so how do we then culture con So the question here was a lot of what we talked about was sort of behavioral KPIs, right? Um, but that there's also this big cultural component of how people work and how do you combine those things. And I do think what's critical is the combination of these things. A lot of people come to us and they'll say, I want, I want you to tell me what the most productive groups are from looking at behavior. And you can't do that, like just to be clear, right? Because what makes me productive, right? Is than what makes more productive, different than what makes other people productive? We have different jobs, we have different roles. And... So the idea is much more is to sort of turn that on its head. It's say, well, culturally, what do you want to have happen? Okay, you say we want a, I want cross-functional integration. Great, that's measurable, right? How much do these different divisions talk to each other? Right. I want to have a, of teams that are lower stressed. Okay, these some of these metrics are proxies for that, right? So those are things we could look at. But the question is really, what are you going? What is your goal? And I think with a lot of workplace changes in particular, we don't actually operationalize, we don't say what we mean, right? We use high level terms like I want to I increase wellness. That is not something that's, that's, you know, that's high level. I could ask you in a survey and that's totally meaningful, but especially at large scales and to be able to drive actual investment. Right? If I can say, all right, I want to you know, reduce stress in the workforce and I have a way to actually show that we're making a quantitative impact on that, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to change the workplace so that I reduce the amount of meetings by 10%. I'm just making that up, right? But at least have a goal that you're driving towards and being able to see, does it work? Whatever you're doing, does it work? And I think then we can start to admit that any workplace change we make, we have a hypothesis that is going to have a certain effect, but it's a hypothesis. We don't really know. And this is a way to be able to see, are we making real progress towards that goal? Maybe time for, for one more. More questions? All right. Well, thanks everyone for coming. And uh, yeah, have a good rest of the day. Thank you for tuning into What's Next. Have an idea or point of view? Want to record a podcast of your own? Visit cornetglobal.org podcast.